We are outdoor ladies who hunt, fish, camp, and more, all while working in conservation. I am Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Wagner with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. And we want to see you outdoors. Welcome back to the She Goes Outdoors podcast. What a frozen tundra. Holy smokes, it's been so cool. Winter came in with a vengeance. It was so beautiful in December. January hits, snow, 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 wind, freezing temps. I can't say I've even been outdoors. I've been burrowed in under a blanket, hiding. Um, someone aptly said, like, Iowa indoor women and, and took a picture of like their cup and like the view from inside. And that is, uh, that's kind of the theme right now. But Tana, Kansas, what's going on? Oof, it is chilly and windy. Actually, today is the first day that we might get above freezing. So I'm excited about that. It has been um, not only below freezing, but below zero degrees Fahrenheit. So it has been very cold and blustery here. Jacob and I had a snow drift that was chest height in front of our house, just in the road. It was just the craziest thing I've ever seen in my whole time living in Kansas. I'm very glad that that wind is not blowing the same way that it was before because that was brutal we did end up having to cancel one of our women's events that weekend when it was so so cold it was our women's squirrel hunting event but i'm excited because we're working with the share the heritage program from first hunt foundation and uh, we've got that rescheduled for february 24th and 5th so that's kind of what we're looking at um i unfortunately got covid in the new year and so oh, no. um it was it was kind of nice to just sit on the couch and not feel guilty about it because it was so nasty outside anyway. But feeling better today. The sun is out. We're going to get a little warmer temperatures. So things are on the mend. What about you, Julia? Are you guys surviving out there? Uh, Yeah, kind of. I just pause on that one. Yeah, it's it's been brutal. Today's going to be 20. And this morning when I'm on my way to work, it, I mean, honestly, it felt balmy, like it just felt balmy out and when one degree or two degree in the morning feels balmy something's wrong there like we this is alaska weather this is canada weather this is not nebraska weather and it was brilliant like i saw that post that iowa bow posted and the she indoors this weekend was brilliant and it got me thinking you know I should post something like on our BOW page or some and encourage like window birding this week. Like just kiss, just stay out, look out the window. There's no need to go outside. It's okay. You have 355 other days to go outside. Sadly, same as Nebraska, we had to cancel our late season deer hunt, which we had, we had some ladies that were so ready to do it. They had been practicing they were uh hitting on target they had the gear purchased and then mother nature just slammed us and you know most of the roads in nebraska were closed they were just drifted shut and it just was a safety hazard to be outside altogether but you know these ladies are looking forward to it and we, we're going to try to get them out there at least for spring turkey if the snow is melted by then Nice. We're looking at some ice fishing events, you know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago when we started planning these, I was like, yeah, this ain't happening. Now after 
the last week, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is happening. So February 3rd, we got a couple different ice fishing events and uh, beyond Bow in Harrison County. So looking forward to all that. But here in the snow globe, I am so excited to have another one of Iowa DNR's greats on the mic with us today. So I'm excited to introduce Kelsey Fleming. Kelsey, welcome. Will you take a minute and uh, introduce yourself and give us a little background? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I've been listening to your podcasts and uh, I'm excited and honored to be on here today. So yeah, uh, like Rachel said, my name is Kelsey Fleming. I grew up in Northwest Iowa, a small town of 500 early. So for those of you that know Iowa a little better, south of Storm Lake, hour south of the Okaboji Great Lakes area. Grew up in Iowa. Um, We have a family farm that I spent a lot of time on out there and then I went to Iowa State and got a bachelor's degree in wildlife animal ecology and then from there I went down to Mississippi State University and got my master's degree in wildlife fisheries and aquaculture. From there I came back to the Midwest and landed here uh, in Des Moines, Iowa where I'm working now um, with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. Um, A little bit about my personal life. I'm married and have um, a two-year-old. Well, he's going to be two next month. So that's uh, life's been a little different the past two years, but it's exciting and fun learning different stuff every single day with him too. And then we also have a German wire hair pointer named Wisco and he's, oh my gosh, eight years old. So time flew by with him. That's so cute. Kelsey, are you prepared for the terrible twos? Are you nervous about that? Or you guys feel pretty prepared rolling into that season? A, a little nervous, to be honest. We're starting like the no phase and um, getting pickier with eating and everything like that. So I don't think you can be prepared prepared for it, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> and then that'll merge into three, four, 13. <laughs> no experience at all on that one. Welcome, Kelsey. Hey, I just wanted to hit on, you know, when I came from a farm myself and I felt like that was that farm experience that really introduced me to the great outdoors, that love for natural resources animals uh, and everything around me outdoors. Do you feel like that is maybe something that got you introduced to the outdoors? Um, And what was that pivotal moment that made you aware that natural resources was the direction you wanted to head? I would absolutely agree that growing up on the farm, you know, I spent a lot of time out there. Uh, We had a creek, you know, in our backyard that I was always around splashing around in and finding salamanders and all that fun stuff so that really got my interest sparked and then in the summers uh, I would go to county conservation board like naturalist programs and that sort of stuff and that I think that would be like the pivotal moment where I knew like wildlife this is what I want to do and so when I went to Iowa State I did start out in animal science but shortly after that I found out what animal ecology was and I'm like oh yeah that's that's the right fit for me here and for our listeners that aren't from Iowa I do want to put a little plug like I was so lucky we have 99 counties, but we also have 99 county conservation boards. And so that's like a, for those of you outside of Iowa, that's a mix of land managers. It's a mix of naturalists and it's a mix of, of folks really caring for public land. So that's like a, a ne- extra layer in addition to the Iowa DNR. So we have lots of folks doing great things with the fairly limited land acres that we do have in in public ownership, but we do have a lot of 
talented and, and passionate folks out there. So uh, just to kind of bring our listeners in on what those county conservation boards are. Mm, yeah, good plug, Rachel. You know, one of the things that you said, Kelsey, that stuck out to me was that you kind of went one direction in college, but then that ecology side, like really, really caught your eye. And I kind of had a similar experience. I went in like general biology and then I went fisheries route and um, you just kind of find your passion there. So if we have any young listeners that are going through their schooling pathway, their career pathway, something else catches your eye. I really encourage you just to run with it. Don't be afraid to try something new, to shake up that path that you originally had in mind, because it can often lead to really great things and on this podcast we always joke about like the kind of winding roads that (laughs) that got us into the careers we're in today so I really love that you took that and run with ran with it Kelsey and I think uh, I hope that's encouraging to some of our other listeners as well so prior to working for the Iowa DNR you also worked for Pheasants Forever is that correct Yes. Yep. That's correct. Tell me more about that career path. And is it, is it as winding as maybe some of ours have been? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great way to describe it. So after grad school uh, in Mississippi, I knew I wanted to get back to the Midwest. And so I was looking for job opportunities and um, Pheasants Forever had a lot of them. And uh, one of them that really sparked my interest was the Open Fields and Waters Program Coordinator. Uh, so it was with Pheasants Forever in partnership with Nebraska Game and Parks. And so um, I applied for that position and got it. And so I, right out of grad school, I went to Nebraska and spent a couple years there working in Lincoln on their Open Fields and Waters program. And so for those, I'm, I'm guessing Julia has talked about it before on here, but for those of you that aren't aware, it's um, a walk-in hunting program available. It's, it's private lands that are opened up for the public to use. Um, and so those programs are funded. A lot of different states have them. They all call them a little bit different type of thing. And so, yeah, that's what I spent my first two years working on. And then um, I, I knew I wanted to get back to Iowa after spending a couple years um, in Nebraska. And so the, a farm mill biologist position opened up and uh, I was able to get it. And so um, that's where I'd spent five years working in that position. And what I was doing in that was working in four different counties and partnering with the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And so for those of you that aren't aware, there's a NRCS office in every county and all the different states, most of them have them in every county, if not locally, at least for you to to reach out to and work with. And what that is, they have a bunch of different programs through the Farm Bill available to landowners to do different types of projects. Um, Obviously, being a wildlife biologist, I was working specifically with those landowners that wanted to do habitat projects. So there's a bunch of different programs there. So it, it was an awesome job. I would go out, meet with landowners, talk with them through what their goals and interests were, and then develop a wildlife plan for them and then let them know what financial assistance programs were available for them and if they wanted to apply and get funding through either the federal state or um, local programs that were available I'd help them navigate those and and get the projects on the ground and the habitat out there so uh, that was really exciting I really enjoyed that while I was in that position there was an opportunity with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources to be the Southwest uh, private lands biologist Um, and so that was covering like 25 counties versus the four counties so kind of a bigger scale and so I was like what the heck I'll throw my name in the ring and um, I was lucky enough 
enough to get that position and spent a couple of years there. Um, so doing very similar things, working with landowners, developing, you know, those habitat plans, helping them get habitat on the ground. But then another big focus of that job was working on the Iowa Habitat and Access Program. And so, like I mentioned, OFW in Nebraska, that's basically what we have here in Iowa. They're run a little bit differently, but, you know, very similar. Um, we've got about 33,000 acres here in the state. I know Nebraska's got a lot more acres in OFW too. Um, hopefully we'll get there someday. That's a good goal. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it was great. I loved working in private lands, you know, just being out there, you know, talking with all the different landowners. Again, growing up in a farming family, I'm, I'm used to talking to farmers. And so it was just great to do. Another position opened up the Habitat Resources Coordinator position, and that was at a statewide scale, um, getting away from the field, working in the office, but it's um, more focused on raising finding ways to raise funds so we can put habitat on the ground um, across the state of Iowa through our management staff and then you know private land staff too and so I'm honored to have the position that I have now and it's uh, very fulfilling and exciting I'm not in the field all the time anymore but I still get out there and I'm really enjoying it so if you're gonna leave Nebraska <laughs> this position to go back to Iowa, I suppose we will approve the fact that you left to go develop those connections with the landowners in Iowa. I, I, I'm okay with that. And you kind of, your face kind of looks familiar. So I'm like, I know her from somewhere. And I, it, it perhaps is back from when you were in that position. Yeah. But yeah, our Open Fields and Waters program is, you know, it's a wonderful here in Nebraska. And I'm excited because in an upcoming, actually next week, we're going to be discussing a lot more in a lot more detail about the programs that at the national scale that uh, Rachel's been talking about. Definitely when you're done listening to this podcast, this episode, stay tuned for what we're, we will drop next because we're going to talk a lot more at this national scale on all these phenomenal programs uh, with the states and working with our landowners. You know, it's, it's pretty important, especially here in Kansas, Nebraska, and Iowa because we're high 90s of percent of privately owned. We, we need that we need that access to get into these landowners we need these landowners to uh, recognize the need for habitat development on this land that they own I love my time in Nebraska so oh good I, I never mean, became a Husker fan but um, it was great there well, <laughs> honestly like the northwest part of the state probably looks really familiar to Nebraska too I mean they look the same yeah. it's okay yeah. <laughs> So, you know, with that entail, with a large scope of your job, do you have a, like a, a focus area or area of interest that, that you're currently developing? You had talked about just walking into a new role. And tell us maybe a little bit more about that. Like I said, you know, with the Habitat Resources Coordinator, I kind of look at my position as I'm here to help get the resources our staff need to deliver creating new habitat or enhancing our existing habitat that we have out there for everyone to recreate on, you know, each and every day. And and so with that, a lot of it is trying to find funding to do a lot of those habitat projects. So with that comes grant writing. And so I have focused on writing some small NACA grants that we've got funded. And so NACA, for those of you who don't know, the North American Wetland Conservation Act um, that's funded through the federal duck stamps and so um applying for that funding, getting funding to do more wetland work out there, something I'm doing, and then looking for new grant opportunities. You know, there's always different grants available. And so just kind of navigating what those look like and, you know, writing them and hopefully being successful in getting those. That's something that I'm really focused on here. 
Um, in addition to uh, you know writing grants, I also help manage our capitals projects that we have for the Wildlife Bureau. And then we also have a partnership with Pheasants Forever, which is pretty cool. I still get to work with uh, PF, even though they're no longer my employer, but uh, we've got wildlife habitat specialists that work at some of our units. Um, and those are kind of like beginning career positions where those individuals work for us for a year or more and get to know what we're doing out in our management areas and then decide you know, where they want to go kind of talking through that path. Like, do they want to work um, for an NGO? Do they want to work for the state in a management position? Are they maybe more interested in private lands, that sort of thing. So I help facilitate that partnership that we have with PF on getting those employees onboarded. That's so neat. I really like that career mentorship component of it, that you can go in and kind of get some of the guidance there. I wish that I had had some of that guidance earlier on in my career. That's great. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm there with you. Huh. Well, it sounds like you really leverage a lot of your skill sets in your career now, Kelsey, between, you know, some of those skill sets that you grew up developing, like your ability to form genuine and authentic relationships with landowners to some of the technical skills you've developed. So it's really cool to see you putting that all to use. And, you know, of course, again, man, I'm just going to be on the soapbox today, but encourage our listeners, like when you're applying for jobs and when you're going to school, think about those abilities and those skill sets that you have that maybe aren't just black and white technical skills, you know, like growing up on a farm and being able to have those conversations or being able to relate to people in that way. That's a really awesome skill. Kelsey, would you agree that that's something that folks need to highlight um, as they begin their career journeys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Having good communication skills is so important. And I mean, I think, I mean, personally, I'm always working on it to do better um, as well. And so, you know, like, uh, that's a great thing to hit on, too. You know, going through school, like, I always liked math, but I was like, I want to be in the wildlife field. Like, I'm never going to use math. And in this position now, like, you know, we're balancing budgets. All that stuff's very important to do. So some of those skills that you're developing when you're younger, you might not understand, but they're going to connect in and be important in the future. I would definitely agree with that ability to connect with with farmers, landowners. They um, it just takes a special, different type of communication. Be able to connect with them. Do they know that you understand their needs, uh, where they're coming from, perspective of land, and I, I think that just I don't know how to put it. It's like this their own breed in itself. I could say that because. I farm, I I work with farmers. So uh, kudos to you. And I I guarantee that that gets you above that level to be able to be successful with those with the farmers. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, listening to them and and knowing their perspective and where they're coming from and that's their livelihood. And I mean, that's so important. And it was so fulfilling working private lands. You know, I really I really enjoyed it. And everyone's got a different story, different experiences. So very neat. It almost needs to be like a class in college level, like how to communicate with a landowner. No kidding. Well, now is probably a good opportunity too to thank our farmers and landowners out there for all the hard work that they do, you know, managing the habitat, building these partnerships, and of course, reaching out for additional resources. So thank you to our landowners. Thank you to our farmers that have been out there braving the cold. We appreciate all that you do. All right, Kelsey. So I have a sneaking suspicion that your 
outdoor adventures in your personal life are just as varied and exciting as your career. So, you know, as we know, like most of the Midwest with its varying terrains and ecosystems, Iowa specifically has so many different avenues for outdoor recreation. And I got to know, do you have a favorite outdoor activity or like a species that you like to pursue? Tell us more about that. To pick a favorite, that's really tough. Um, Definitely birds are... Uh, what I focus and am most interested in, like waterfowl and upland hunting are, are definitely my favorite. You know, like I said, I got a bird dog for eight years. And so um, from the get-go, we've been hunting with him and always enjoyed that. And I think that's why, you know, since like my 20s, I've been deer hunting like on and off, but I've really focused on birds because I feel like every time I should be sitting out in a tree stand, it's a great time. Like either <laughs> the ducks are migrating through or, you know, I'd rather my dog's looking at me all sad and it's like, OK, we'll go out pheasant hunting instead. So, um, yep, definitely birds are, are definitely my favorite pursuit. And I would say like pheasant hunting and quail hunting are what I spend the most of my time doing. And so it's definitely a bummer. Our season, well, for pheasant, it closed January 10th. Quail still open till the end of the year but with these cold conditions I feel so bad going out there and chasing them so I haven't done it yet but hopefully maybe before the end of the month I'll get out there and uh, pursue the quail specifically um but yeah you know I also like to get out and and dove hunt too and then turkeys are always fun to chase in the spring um it's challenging but it's exciting Julie and Tana and listeners in case you've seen a uh recent copy of the Iowa hunting regulations, you might see a familiar face on the front of that on that reg booklet if you look closely. And she might be uh, showing off a, a prized harvest. So um, just uh, just putting out that PSA in case you uh, get online and, and do a little Google search, you could probably see a, a smiling face of someone you might know. A celebrity in our midst. Julia, I think we need to share that picture with this episode. Absolutely. Definitely will. And we'll expect to have autographs, too, at some point. I was going to say, we have to arrange sending you some signatures because it's not often that we get to speak to a celebrity on this podcast. (laughs) It was definitely a surprise. I did not know that that picture was going to be on the hunting regs. Um, So it was very cool to see. And it's it was a very special hunt. So to have that, you know, be a memory uh, is super cool. Um, In addition to that, it was on um, public land or I guess on on an IHAP site. So that's really cool to to highlight there as well, because that program means a lot to me. So. All right. So, Kelsey, our listeners know that some of us might have gotten into hunting a little bit later in life. So we always ask the question for those that enjoy pursuing hunting. How did you get into it? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say a little later in life for me as well. I got my hunter safety, you know, early on when I could get it. But um, I mostly just did trap shooting in high school and with our FFA program. I went out pheasant hunting a couple of times, but um, I I wouldn't say like I was an active hunter at that point or anything. So when I got into college, I had some friends that were duck hunting and invited me out. And I went out with them the first time and I was hooked. You know, it took a couple of years for me to get that first duck but I stuck to it I just loved you know everything that comes along with it watching the sunrise you know hearing all the songbirds singing seeing all the waterfowl fly through um you know everything like that that you know draws a lot of us in and so that was um 
that was definitely what got me hooked. And then when I was down in Mississippi, um, that's a huge spot for duck hunting. And so I was all in. That's what I did every single weekend down there. Um, and then, yeah, moving back here, uh, when my husband and I decided to get a dog, you know, we really got into pheasant hunting a lot more, chasing quail too. Um, so yeah, I, I would say kind of in the middle middle of my life is when I started getting into hunting, but I can't, can't imagine life without it now. So, and another kind of cool story there, my husband actually didn't hunt before he met me. So I kind of brought him in to the hunting scene, which I know isn't a common thing. So it's always a neat story to tell people. <laughs> I think it's getting to be more and more common that the females are bringing their husbands or their, you know, their significant other out with them hunting. Uh, we know that it, in majority of those houses, those females are making the decision. And if she's learning to go hunting or is enjoying that, she's like, <laughs> either she goes out herself or she's like, come on, let's go, let's go. So, you know, I, I certainly feel like you are not the only one in those shoes. Yeah, uh, no, that's cool. Something that we've definitely enjoyed doing together. Uh, and so that's something that's been different since having Hudson. You know, we kind of have to alternate who gets to go out and take the dog out and that sort of thing. But um, it's fun. And then, you know, we get a babysitter every once in a while and get to go out <laughs> together. So those are very really special moments, too. You had mentioned FFA. And I honestly, um, I'm a former ag educator myself, very familiar with FFA and the connection of FFA has with natural resources, leadership development, public speaking. Tell us how, first, will you tell the audience like what FFA is? Because I have, I have a feeling we have listeners that are not familiar with that, that youth program and how it connected you to perhaps the role that you're in right now. Yeah, and so um, FFA historically has stood for Future Farmers of America, but I, I think it just is the acronym now. It doesn't actually stand for that. Is that right, Julia? <laughs> that is correct. Because of the connection we're talking about now and the leadership and horticulture, you're correct. When I was in high school, I was taking a lot of the ag classes and FFA was just something that tied right into it. Um, and just like Julia mentioned, there was a lot of leadership opportunities. And so um, kind of throughout my four years of high school, I was secretary, treasurer, vice president and president. And then uh, there's different competitions that um, we competed in as well. And so, you know, public speaking, um, was one of the ones that I did too. And I think that was very beneficial for me and um, helped me out. And then, um, you know, there would be state conventions and national conventions that uh, all the students would get to go to um, and learn from. And then there's different degrees too. In order to get like your state and uh, national degrees, you would have to do certain things. And so like I got my state FFA degree. And so what that entailed was me, um, you know, working, making money, and then that related back to the ag field and making that connection and then, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was super great for me to be involved in. That definitely helps with me with where I am. And I don't know, Julia, if you have anything else you want to add to no, that. We will call Julia did. did she pass teacher? She did. She did an awesome job. Yeah, uh, it's definitely like she had talked about making money and it's, they're called supervised agriculture experiences. And every student that goes to their ag program, it's, it's, it's a program, you know, they'll decide whether they want to go and develop their own entrepreneurship. Will they go work somewhere and earn money? It's, it's involved record keeping. So I assume like even that record keeping, that budget keeping has helped 
uh, Kelsey now in the role that she has. Obviously, she's a very fluent communicator and has to be, whether she's on the microphone, uh, public speaking, or working one-on-one with landowners. Again, that you know, that's that connection that all the, these youth are developing uh, as early as junior high through high school. And then she had talked about like the state state degree, national degree, all those are earned by whether they make a certain amount of money, they keep a number of records, they ask some questions, and then they're recognized for their efforts. And like she said, it's just complete development as, as they move forward and through their career development. And yeah, awesome. I, I just had to jump on my box. It was like, oh, she mentioned SSA. Like you were talking SAE. I couldn't remember, you know, what that um, was. But yeah, I... So part of it, I had a job and then another part of it with the record keeping, like you said, we had just planted at our farm a windbreak. And so that was my job, you know, to awesome. maintain it and make sure all the trees survived. If we needed to replace trees, do all that. So that, you know, kind of like you said, the tie back to natural resources, that was definitely there and a part of my SAE project. So. And you recorded those hours worked. And so, you know, a lot yes. of the grants that we that we apply for at these state levels are, it's that's match funding that requires recording the number of hours that we work in the field. So that's that in-kind match. And so right there, it's again, it's, a, it's another connection. I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> this is so fascinating to listen to because it seems like all roads led you to where you are now, Kelsey, in your career. Like looking back, that's got to be so surreal to see all these little experiences piecing together. And now where you're at now being like, oh, that made so much sense that all these experiences would lead me here. Right. No, yeah, it is, uh, you know, kind of thinking about when I was coming on here and what I was going to talk about, right, it all kind of coming together. It's it's really neat to see. That is neat. You know, another connection I recognize, too, was you mentioned that you were part of, was it your high school trap team? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so um, there was kind of a connection there between like you already had those shooting skills under your belt and that made it maybe a little bit easier to get into hunting, I would guess. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a very accurate statement. And yeah, it made me feel way more confident, you know, shooting a shotgun. And then I also, you know, had a shotgun from that as well. So I had equipment when my friends asked me if I wanted to go out hunting with them. You know, I had some of the things that I needed. So, yeah. And that makes me think of our friends over at Passing On Outdoor Mentors, because Everything they do is working with these high school clay trap teams to try to make that connection, to try to bridge the gap and get them out on hunts. So basically what you did already, Kelsey, but in a more formalized, programmatic way that they take the whole team out. And so there's that social support, too. So I know in Kansas and Iowa, both were very lucky to have their presence in our states. And, um, you know, they're great partners to the DNR, great partners to a lot of different folks. So it's kind of cool to see like that pathway from your perspective, kind of informally, and then see that again in some of their programs. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that was uh, helpful for you. Okay. I have to know, I, I'm on a little bit of a soapbox recently. We're just going to keep doing soapboxes all day. But I think our <laughs> listeners know <laughs> I went to Colorado on a bear hunt recently and it was my first like out of state hunting experience. And it wasn't something I was ever really interested in doing because I'm an adult onset hunter as well. And so I felt like you know, I, I still had skills to master here in Kansas before I ventured out. But, you know, pressure from friends and whatever else, I ended up going, had a great experience. And so now every time I talk to another hunter in another state, I want to know, you know, do you focus just on your home state or have you done any traveling? And if so, like, what are some stories or standout moments that you can remember? Yeah, no, that's kind of like you said, being like nervous and kind of feeling comfortable 
with where you are and not, you know, trying to explore something else is hard. And I mean, I definitely can relate to that. We spend a lot of time hunting here in Iowa, but uh, instead of actually, my husband and I got married, instead of going on a honeymoon, we went on a hunting moon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we went up to North Dakota and we went duck hunting. And so it was, you know, late October, we wanted to hit migration. Um, We were a little off, but it was still super fun. And so that's going to be definitely one of my favorite trips going out of state for sure. And, uh, you know, we were definitely out of our comfort zone, but I kind of did my homework ahead of time and talked to some coworkers that I knew up in North Dakota, kind of got an idea of what areas we should go, where we should focus on. Um, North Dakota is a whole different beast too, because you can go hunt on any ground unless it's posted. So that was kind of uncomfortable. Like, am I trespassing? Am I not? But, but yeah, that's just how it is there. Unless the property's posted, you can go out there and use it. So, and that was really neat too. That's definitely going to be a trip that I'm always going to remember. It was our dog's first um, season of hunting too. So definitely a lot of learning there, but um, (laughs) yeah, it was a lot of fun. We got some ducks and had some great memories from that. Hunting moon. I'm obsessed. That is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can you can just hear the jealousy a little bit in Tana's voice <laughs> yeah like we did a state park and that was very cool but we fished we didn't hunt and I wish we had there had been a lot of turkeys around but okay well maybe a hunting versary I don't know that doesn't yeah. work quite as well Kelsey <laughs> hunting moon she's coined it it's gotta be a shirt I'm going on my hunting moon <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay, so I, I think I already know the answer to this question, but I have to ask it just because it, it you can tell the you can hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about um, public lands. But um, you've mentioned that you you do a lot of hunting here in the state of Iowa. Are you hunting public or private lands, or maybe a mix of both? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I am mostly hunting public lands. Uh, my family does own some ground, uh, obviously with farming, and I was able to get my dad to enroll some of that into CRP. So it is some good grassland habitat for pheasants for sure. But uh, other than you know hunting our own farm ground, we we basically exclusively pursue public lands. You know, just kind of like Rachel mentioned, you know, that's what I'm spending my day on, you know, getting, you know, getting landowners to put in habitat and roll it in that IHAP program. So I spent a lot of time on IHAP sites. I was super familiar with them in Southwest Iowa. So that's where we'd find ourselves headed. But then also just going and, you know, seeing all of our different public lands, even with like less than 3% of our state being in public ownership, there's still, you know, I think like 400,000 acres of public land out there. So even though it is small in comparison to the whole state, there's a lot of different acres that you can go pursue every single weekend and so that's what we try to do is go find a couple new areas every year to hunt and then we've always got our favorites that we like to go back to too so and do you have any advice that you can give our listeners that are looking to get into public land i know sometimes there's a aversion because oh there's another car or truck parked there and and maybe there's a, a little apprehension in sharing that land do you have any advice for those listeners you know, a lot of our areas are big enough that more than one group can be hunting them safely and, and effectively. And so whenever I pull up to an area and see there's, you know, a vehicle or two in a parking lot, if the people aren't still in their vehicles, then I'll go try to find another parking lot um, on that same property to go to or, you know, just go find another property nearby. But if if the people are still at their vehicles, then I always like to get out and talk to them and kind of see what their game plan is and let them know what I'm thinking. And, you know, hopefully those work out and we can both enjoy the land together and you know I've always got positive experiences from that um, too and 
and yeah, like I said, you know, even if that specific public area is full, there's, you know, got to be some other ones close by that you can always go explore, even if you're not used to them, going and checking them out and not just heading back home. And that's where, um, you know, we've got our, our DNR app where you can find our public areas at, or you can go online and find them too. I know a lot of people have Onyx that's got them on there too. And so there's definitely use those to your advantage and find areas. You can also call, I mean, our local biologists or conservation officers and um, get a feel for what areas close by would be good to pursue too. And another piece of advice might be to join a conservation group like Pheasants Forever. Get that network built up so that if you don't feel comfortable hunting alone, especially on these public land areas, you've got a network of people that can either support you with advice outside of the field or possibly even go out and hunt with you. So in the Midwest, we're blessed with so many wonderful conservation organizations, in addition to women's groups like Wilderness, Wander Woman, um, very, very many wonderful groups. So just wanted to point that out too, that if you are feeling that pressure, get involved with these conservation organizations. In addition to the social support, there's wonderful work being done at the habitat level as well. So you really can't go wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And I've yeah, met a lot of friends through being on PF chapters and Ducks Unlimited chapters, too. And just like you said, you know, we plan to go on hunts together and then find new areas and that we can explore, too. So. And we can certainly help connect you with representatives from those groups. So if you want to reach out to our team at She Goes Outdoors, say, hey, you know, this is the state I'm in. This is what I'm interested in. We can even help try to point you in the direction of groups we think would meet your needs and your interests. So we are happy to do that. And yeah, thanks, Kelsey, for for making that connection as well. So I know we've talked a lot about connections and, and preparedness as you head into a career for natural resources. I thought we would just kind of, as we start to wrap up here, what advice would you have for other females, women interested in pursuing a career in natural resources? I would definitely say to keep your options open. I think we've driven this home, but just to say it one more time, you know, everyone's past is not exactly how you started. That's not where you're going to end up. It goes in all different directions. And so um, keeping your mind open and trying new things is super important. And you're going to find what things work for you and what things don't work for you. And that's where, you know, those seasonal jobs or internships, definitely in the summer and the college, uh, I would say is super important just to find out which path you want to take. You know, finding mentors, finding other women that you can talk to and get advice from um, is definitely very important. I've got, you know, a handful of mentors that I can thank for where I am today. Uh, And then getting involved in the NGOs like we talked about is really important. There's different, you know, volunteer events that you can get engaged with, you know, different um, professional development things that they've got going on that you can actually go talk to people working for the DNR or the NGOs too and and get to know them and, you know, build a network of people too. They're going to remember that and remember you and, you know, reach out to you and, jobs are open or you can always reach out to them with questions and they're more than happy to help you out. Recruitment and retention are definitely important things that we're hitting on, you know, not only for getting more people into the outdoors, but also, you know, for our careers too. We want to get the right people in those jobs, people that are interested too. So we're always happy to talk to anyone if they've got questions or interests. And so, I mean, I guess a lot of that I hit on is like if you're in college, but if you're in high school too, don't be afraid to reach out and, you know, drive around with any of us for a day or come in the office and see what we're doing as well. We're more than happy to do that. Yeah. And and even honestly, for those thinking of maybe a career change, there's a lot of different directions within the natural resource world that 
from an outsider looking in, you wouldn't remotely expect, especially in our wildlife bureau. Like you talk to folks that have mathematics majors. I'm like, how does that remotely work? And they're like, oh, actually I have a IT like programming degree. I'm like, what? And then you start thinking about it and the, the programs that they're running based on, you know, scientific calculations and all this other stuff, it totally makes sense. But from an outsider looking in, I'm like, oh, they they all have biology degrees, right? Like, it, it's very easy to cast that shadow. So if if you're listening to this and you're like, I hate my job, I'm ready for an, a new change, a new challenge, a new something, um, I, I would I would really encourage you to look in, into the natural resource world if if this is a passion of yours, because uh, most people I talk to within our world, yeah, they have a job, but but this is their life. This is the thing that they love, right? Everything that they do during the day helps with whatever they're doing in the evening or in the weekends, whenever they're spending their time outdoors, you know, it kind of all builds and is all encompassing. So a lot of folks are like, Oh yeah, I have a job, but I don't, I don't ever call it that. Like it's my passion. It's my thing I do. It's my calling. And those are phrases, terms, and words that you don't hear in some, you know, (laughs) some, uh, job employment areas. So, uh, just something to think about there because, um, from, from an outsider looking in from someone that, that maybe has an occupational safety and health degree, you don't think that this is maybe some place that you could find yourself. So, um, just there's my soapbox just to join the soapbox, uh, uh, mafia, if you want. Kelsey, as we, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, it's been an absolute pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to join us. And we always ask our, our guests if they have anything that they'd like to share with our listeners. You know, we talked a lot about private lands, and I guess I didn't make this plug. And so I just wanted to, if you're a landowner yourself or know um, a landowner or farmer that's interested in doing any habitat type project, you know, reach out to your local um, state agencies, biologists, or reach out to the NRCS office or Pheasants Forever, uh, what have you, and they'll get you connected with the right people to to talk to you about, you know, developing those wildlife plans like we discussed and what financial assistance programs are available for you to out there. And, you know, for those of you wanting you know, getting outdoors and wanting to find new areas and that sort of stuff too. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out and ask questions. We're here to help you. And yeah. And just having a career in natural resources, like Rachel mentioned, you know, it's more than just a job to me. This is my passion and I can't imagine working anywhere else. And so if there's people out there that are thinking like, that's what I want to do that reach out to myself or anyone on this podcast, we're happy to help guide you in the right direction and get you the resources to get started. Kelsey, I really appreciate your enthusiasm, your motivation. And I just want to put a a quick plug in as Rachel was talking about positions in the natural resources world. Think broad, right? So like, think even temp jobs, they may be three month jobs, they may be four month jobs at our state park. Uh, We have a lot of openings in Nebraska, I guarantee Iowa and Kansas does as well. Even if you start at helping with landscaping, mowing at a Nebraska state park or any state park, your local parks. Uh, Right now I have a position, it's been open for six months because People, I don't think exactly connect that this, it's 11 month job, but this 11 month job is experience on the resume. It's experience getting your face out there. It's experience uh, doing a broad level of stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it's not a 12 month job, but we got to think big as in 
this is experience in general. So I just want to jump on that soap, that soapbox with Rachel and really express mm-hmm. and encourage those opportunities to, to even if it's an office assistant position in the wildlife division of your agency, try it out, figure it out if that's a field and then move up the ladder. And a good conversation today. I hope that all our listeners all feel inspired and empowered to reach out and try to go down some of those avenues. And uh, if you've been taking a drink of your coffee or tea every time we've gotten off on a soapbox, consider yourself properly caffeinated. (laughs) Well, Kelsey, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. I appreciate it so much. Good luck to you in the field, both personally and professionally as you get out there. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I appreciate your guys' podcast. I love listening. So keep up the great work. Mm. And listeners, as always, we want to remind you to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Those subscriptions mean you will get notifications every time we release a new episode. And you guys all know life can get crazy. So having that subscription means that you will get those notifications and know when a new episode drops. Also rate our podcast and review us. That helps so much getting the word out there, telling us exactly what you want to hear and who you want to hear from. Um, And it also helps us, you know, when we're showing off to our supervisors, like, hey, she goes outdoors. It's important that we continue to invest in this channel and this podcast. So um, really, really help us out there. And of course, you know, we talked about community and connection so much in this episode. Join our She Goes Outdoors Facebook community where you can send us photos, topic suggestions, even just little updates about what you're up to in the outdoors. Or, of course, seek advice and fellow outdoors women that can help you out on your journey. With all of that said, we can't wait to see you outdoors. 